0: the CBC creates an Orwellian list of words it would like banished from the English language, all of Ottawa is in collusion to push a ridiculous bill, and the CBC celebrates working from home because apparently it stops awful white people from being so racist. It's Fake News Friday, I'm Candace Malcolm and this is The Candace Malcolm Show. Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in to The Candace Malcolm Show. It is Friday. Happy Friday, everyone. And as you know, on the program on Fridays, we devote the entire show to debunking the ridiculous media narratives that exist out there. We talk about all of the problems with the media in Canada stemming from the fact that they take money from the government. So we have no separation between journalism and state in this country. The major journalists, especially the ones covering Justin Trudeau and the federal government in Ottawa, are paid by Justin Trudeau and the federal government in Ottawa. It is such a conflict of interest. And because of all of these various problems, we, we we encounter so many stories that require us to do a deep dive into, pay closer attention, dissect, and help raise the issue and help everybody out there fully understand how corrupt this system of Canadian media attached to Canadian government is in this country. But first, before we get into the show today, if you're watching this video on YouTube right now, I'm going to ask you to please like this video. Don't forget to subscribe to North. And if you like what we do here on The Candace Malcolm Show, hit the little notification bell so that you never miss an episode. If you're watching over on Facebook, make sure to like the video, share it, and head on over and like the North page. Finally, if you are listening to this podcast over on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you enjoy listening to your podcasts, don't forget to subscribe to The Candace Malcolm Show. And if you like it and you want to support the show, Please consider leaving us a five-star review. It really helps us out. Okay, so this is the big story of the week and this is just the CBC being the CBC. The CBC sees themselves as the arbiter of truth. They also apparently see themselves as the arbiter of the English language. So here CBC Ottawa has put together a list of words that you should just stop using. They're they're, they're not even hiding um, their hatred of free speech. They're, They're putting it right out there. They've come up with a ridiculous list that talks about the historical and cultural literal problematic words that we should just all stop using you know the, the the funny thing about this story when I first saw it it just it gives it gave me the creeps it, it gives me chills when I see CBC pushing this kind of nonsense because to some people out there they'll see a story like this and they'll take it seriously they'll take it to heart nobody wants to be racist nobody wants to be out of date and using terms that could accidentally offend somebody but 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 what this what this story does and the reason it gave me chills is because the purpose of it is isn't just to inform the reader or or educate us no the the purpose is to instill fear in society instill fear in the reader to say if you use these words you are a racist and the purpose is to play on that fear that people have and and therefore it does have a chilling effect on speech it has a chilling effect on our on our freedom to think Jordan Peterson talks about this phenomenon that in order to be able to be free you have to be able to think in order to be able to think you have to be able to speak and sometimes you say things that don't come out right and that is part of the process in a free society, of of coming to terms, of of processing new information, and having debates in civil society. So this sort of thing is just so creepy and so wrong, but I I, I think when, when CBC puts stuff like this out, it has the adverse effect, because almost everyone I saw commenting on this, almost anyone who shared it with me, people who I saw sharing it on social media, the, the the unanimous response to it was to make fun of it to laugh at it not to take it seriously so so that's good that's a good sign that people aren't taking this seriously but regardless it's still worth going through because this is the kind of thing that the cbc thinks is news this is the kind of thing that the cbc spends its resources your resources taxpayer resources on coming up with a list to accuse canadians of being racist to hector us and to shame us and to try to get us to change our language so here he, here is the article it says Have you ever casually used the term spirit animal, first word problems, or spooky? It might be time to rethink your use of these phrases and remove them from your daily lingo. CBC Ottawa compiled a small list of words submitted by readers and some of our journalists who are black, indigenous, or people of color. We ran some of the words by anti-racism language experts who said some of these phrases can be hurtful to various groups of people for their historical and cultural context. Okay, so. And, and, and then it goes on to, to, to interview one such anti-racist language expert, and and, and here that person says, being an English speaker doesn't entail you to necessarily know the racist etymology automatically, said this linguist and associate language professor at the University of Toronto Mississauga. Etymology is a study of the origin of words and the way their meanings change over time. The fact that you said it oblivious to the etymology doesn't automatically make you a bad person. So so, so it's interesting because they're talking about the etymology, which is sort of just like a niche academic area, for people that are really interested in the English language. They're saying that you shouldn't be an expert on it, but maybe you should become aware. But then the interesting thing is so many of the words that they list, the the etymology isn't racist. It isn't racist. It just sounds like something else that might have been racist. And so we'll, we'll go through some of these words and you can learn how ridiculous they are. So they start off with the words blackmail, blacklist and black sheep. And we hear from another anti-racism expert, the issue here is that these are all negative terms. It connotates evil, distrust, a lack of intelligence, ignorance, a lack of beauty, the absence of white. Black became associated with a particular group of people, and that group of people received all the negative connotations. That's why we try to move away from these types of words, and then they come up with a bunch of uh, words that you should use instead. So instead of saying white list and blacklist, when you're talking about whether maybe you're going to hire someone. So they want you to use block list, deny list, and allow list, which just doesn't really have the same ring to it at all. So again, remember, we were told that that we're supposed to know the etymology of words to find out they're racist. Well, here's an example of something that has nothing to do with the etymology of these words. They're just talking about the colors. And to be fair, it's sort of an interesting argument when when, when it comes to myths and stories in our society and the imagery associated with that. There, there, there typically is a, a dichotomy uh, between good and bad, evil and good, uh, black and white are, are used as, as or, sort of symbols for that. But but to me, it doesn't really have anything to do with race at all. It, it has more to do with just the in nature. Nighttime darkness, of course, there is symbolism there of, of something being dark and negative. And then when it comes to light and daytime, that, that of course is going to have positive connotations and it helps with storytelling it doesn't really have anything to do with race whatsoever so again they're they're, they're talking about the etymology and then and then the examples that give have nothing to do with that okay let's go to a few more they say ghetto and inner city so one of their anti-racist experts says terms like ghetto and inner city grew out of the industrial revolution in north america the word ghetto also has a painful historical root in europe during the holocaust and was likely derived from jewish settlements in italy centuries ago ghettos and inner cities were typically seen as places where less refined people lived the people who weren't up to date culturally developmental wise he said so so we're not supposed to use terms like ghetto because it can apply negative connotation towards racialized people. I mean, this is sort of an interesting argument as well. Most people don't know that the word ghetto has its roots in Europe. It doesn't come from North America at all. And when you're reading historical documents or, or reading about um, exactly what they say here, in Jews and, and in Europe, where the Jews lived, they used to call them the ghettos. And 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 so they don't really make a good case as to why not to use this other than that, what it might sound classist or something. I mean, most people who use the term ghetto use it in jest anyways, and it's not really meant to be hurtful at all. Okay, okay, let's move on. The next one here is spooky. So... According to the dictionary, the term "spooky" means a sinister or ghostly in a way that causes fear or unease, or it could be easily frightened and nervous. So that's what the word means. Uh, but but CBC has come up with some different meaning. It says that the term "spook" has a history of being an anti-black slur when white soldiers began calling fellow black sp- soldiers "spooks" during World War II. It's offensive because of who and what it used to apply to, said this anti-racist expert. So again, nothing to do with the term spooky. It just sort of sounds like a different word that people used 100 years ago that nobody uses anymore. So I don't really understand why we wouldn't be able to use the term spooky in a totally different context, talking about something totally different. This is, again, Nothing to do with etymology, everything to do with the CBC hectoring people and accusing everyone of being racist. But, I mean, I could go on another one here, grandfathered in. Phrases like grandfathered in date back to the 19th century policy called the Grandfather Clause, which indirectly stopped Black Americans from voting by limiting their eligibility of who could vote based on their ancestors. I can't imagine anybody in the world, other than someone who gets paid to be an anti-racist expert, who would hear the term grandfathered in and think back to something that happened in the 19th century and say, yeah, you know what, you're racist for using that term. So ridiculous. These people have way too much time on their hands. Uh, They've created an entire profession here, anti-racist experts whose entire job is just to come up with stuff uh, to accuse people of being racist. And this is the best they can come up with. This is the best that they found. We're not supposed to use terms like spirit animal, powwow, or tribe, because cultural appropriation—I guess—we're not supposed to do that. And this is one that that that, that people uh, were making fun of quite a bit. First world problem—we're not supposed to do that because it shows our privilege. It's funny because usually people use the term first world problem in a self-deprecating way to, to, to talk about how the things that are upsetting them aren't real problems in the scale of things, the scope of things. So it actually does get people thinking about how silly their problems may seem compared to real suffering out there. Like, for instance, I'm ordering new furniture for my house, but there are all kinds of supply chain issues with the ports and because of COVID and because of the holidays. And so because of it, a lot of the furniture that I ordered isn't going to be here in time for us having guests at the at the holidays, right? This this in a nutshell is a first world problem. You know, it's 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 frustrating for me, but you know, I I have some context here, and I know that there are real people suffering out there. So again, saying that that using this term is classes, no, it's the opposite. It's, it's it's being aware that the problems you have, uh, pale in comparison to other problems in the world. So CBC just really being out of touch okay next we're not supposed to say brainstorm blind decided or blind spot (laughs) this is funny okay because the prefix blind is offensive to blind people okay and using the term brainstorm could be insensitive to those who have brain injuries or who aren't neurodiverse, okay? So, so basically, you can't say anything about anything that could offend anyone. That's that's basically the gist of the CBC's story. And and at the bottom here, we are reminded that this is part of their Being Black in Canada series. So, for more stories about the experiences of Black Canadians from anti-Black racism to success stories in the Black community, check out Being Black in Canada, a CBC project. Black Canadians can be proud of, it. and then you see a bunch of the Marxist revolutionary <laughs> arms up. In the air. Again, the CBC created this idea that, that they're going to have an entire section on what it's like to be black in Canada, and they're kind of running out of ideas. So this is the kind of stuff they come up with. It is completely ridiculous and deserving of all the mockery that it is uh, receiving on. Okay, moving on. I want to talk about the story that completely preoccupied and captivated Parliament Hill this week. You know, last week we were told by the legacy media and the liberals over and over and over again that the biggest story in the country was the vaccine status and the medical health exemptions of conservative of MPs. Of course, it was a total distraction. Did not, not the kind of thing that people are sitting around the dinner table talking about. However, that's what the media wanted you to care about. They wanted to distract you with that. This week, it was like that with the conversion therapy bill. So from my understanding of this bill, the, the Liberals devised a bill. The entire purpose of it was to trap the Tories. So they, they they deceptively named it the conversion therapy bill, or that's what they started calling it, in the media. And they they, they knew it was overstepping. They knew that it was something that the Conservatives would instinctively reject because because it was an attack on religious institutions and religious freedom, and there was a, ch- a chilling effect on freedom of speech as well, because as, as I'll explain uh, what the bill does, it, it prevents fully consenting adults from engaging into conversations when it comes to gender identity and uh, sexual orientation. And so 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 it was devised as a wedge. It was devised as a trap by the liberals. The first two times the liberals brought this forward, conservatives, many conservatives opposed it. Uh, they had a vote on this on June 22nd, and it resulted in 263 in, in favor of the bill, 63 opposed. So uh, 62 conservative MPs and one independent voted against what was then called Bill C-6. And, and and so the bill failed to go through Parliament the first time because Trudeau probed the Parliament the second time because the uh, 2021 election so so we've seen this bill this is the third time this week that it was sort of introduced it's now called Bill C four but it used to be called Bill C six and so so before I, I talk about what happened this week uh, let me just talk about the previous Conservative opposition to this so one of the 62 MPs that opposed it was Alberta MP Garnet Janice Garnet is a friend friend of the show and he is he was one of the leading Conservative MPs who advocate against this bill the tagline of his campaign was called Fix the definition. This is all from Garnet Genesis. This is not from me. This is from him. So these are quotes. This is what he said. All politicians oppose conversion therapy in principle, but Bill C-6 proposes to use an overreaching definition of conversion therapy that would needlessly criminalize normal conversations between children and their parents, teachers, counselors, and mentors about gender and sexual behavior. Let's fix the definition. Bill C-6 could open the door for law enforcement to tap into private family communication to investigate discussions that might fit the bill's broad definition of conversion therapy Further, while Bill C-6 expressly allows counseling, medical, and surgical efforts to change a child's gender, it expressly prohibits any support for a child seeking to detransition back to their birth gender. If passed, Bill C-6 could restrict the choices of LGBTQ2 Canadians concerning sexuality and gender by prohibiting access to any professional or spiritual support freely chosen to limit sexual behavior or detransition so pretty compelling stuff here right what the what the conservatives are saying is that the liberals have written this bill in a very clunky way the definition is too broad it could criminalize regular conversation with People that are confused, kids that are confused, let's be honest, part of what the left does, part of their MO is to sort of create confusion, sexual confusion To say, just because you're born a boy doesn't mean that you're a boy. You could be a girl in a boy's body, you could be a boy in a girl's body. Uh, you know, you could, you, you don't have to just be attracted to the other sex. You could be attracted to multiple different sexes and look at the 72 different types of gender that we have, look at the 72 different types of sexual orientation you can be, I mean, they're, they're creating confusion. And then if a kid wants to go and talk to someone about it, their parents, a counselor, someone in their church—that uh, could be criminalized. I mean, again, this isn't really an important issue to me. I know there's so many other important issues out there, but based on the conservatives' own opposition of this bill, it makes sense. And and I found that Garnet Genesis' campaign that he ran and the whole fix the definition thing was logical. It seemed like this is the kind of thing that conservatives should oppose. So 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 forgive my confusion this week when a Conservative MP, Rob Moore, made an announcement on the floor of the House of Commons saying that he would like to introduce a motion to fast track this bill. He wants to fast track it straight to the Senate, holding no vote in the House of Commons. And the MPs were given the opportunity to either say yes, let's just give it to the Senate, or no, let's continue debating it and have a proper debate. And so I'll show you the clip. This is what it looks like. This is the House of Commons. This is all of the MPs, Conservative, Liberal, NDP, Green, Bloc, and Independent, all of them giving this motion unanimous consent, meaning no, we don't want to have a record, we don't want to have a vote, let's just say yes to this bill, all in accordance with each other, and allow it to go into the Senate. So that is this, so. here's what that looked like. Uh, Mr. Speaker, I'm asking for unanimous consent to adopt the following motion, that notwithstanding any standing order or usual... Practices of the House, Bill C-4, an act to amend the Criminal Code conversion therapy be deemed to have been read a second time and referred to a Committee of the Whole, deemed considered in Committee of the Whole, deemed reported without amendment, deemed concurred in at the report stage, and deemed read a third time and passed. This being a hybrid sitting of the House, for the sake of clarity, I will only ask those who are opposed to the request to express their disagreement. Accordingly, all those opposed to the Honourable Member moving the motion will please say nay. Agreed. The House has, not, has heard the terms of the motion. All those opposed to the motion will please say nay. There being no dissenting voice, I declare the motion carried. You can see all of the members of parliament standing up, cheering. I look at these people. It looks like they've just solved world peace, or like they've just ended world hunger, or something. They're they're all so excited. They're jumping up and down. They're hugging each other. They're glad handing. Like we did it. We all came together to pass this super liberal progressive bill that may have a chilling impact on free speech. It may criminalize normal conversations between little kids and their parents, uh, teenagers and their counselors, or if someone wants to go talk to someone in their church about gender or sexuality. It could all be illegal, according to Garnet Jennings' previous campaign. And yet, for some reason, they're all just so ecstatic that they're on the same team. You can see dancing. There's Michelle Rumpel in a red blazer. She's dancing around, um, you know, jumping up and down. Look look at them. They're still clapping. They're giving themselves a two-minute standing ovation um, for all being so progressive and liberal. This is not what you want from your government. This is not what you want from Conservatives, this is not what you want from the official opposition. The reason in Canada that we have an official opposition is to oppose bills. There there are very few times where you want unanimous consent in the House of Commons. Maybe when we're talking about going to war against an enemy, or, or maybe when we're talking about a grand national project going together. Those may be the one or two exceptions. Otherwise, the reason they're called the official opposition, the reason we have an official opposition in our parliamentary system is to oppose bills, exactly what the Conservatives did for the first two times this bill was presented. But, but this time around, maybe because Erin O'Toole Demanded that they all vote this way. Maybe because they lost the will to fight. Maybe because they just wanted to give up. Maybe because they wanted a feel-good moment. As you can see, they're they're all jumping around and 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 congratulating themselves. Regardless, this is not what you want to see from conservatives. And I know this isn't really fake news. When fringe activists left-wing journalists like Justin Ling are are, are congratulating you, you know you've done something wrong. So here's Justin Ling. He says, "Just a positive, nice thing from the conservatives, calling their internal skeptics to do the right thing." To the liberals prioritizing getting the thing passed over dragging it out and the general unanimity of it all and the conservatives were the ones that sought unanimous consent just makes your heart warm a bit doesn't it no this is not what you want as conservatives this is not what you want you want them to oppose you want them to fight in, in to protect free speech to protect the religious freedom per, to protect uh, little kids from being able to talk it out and talk to people before um, going ahead with whatever it is they're going ahead with and and here's more of the legacy media congratulating the conservatives for being more like liberals. Liberals thank conservatives who champion conversion therapy bill as it passes the House. So they're all celebrating, they're all feeling warm and fuzzy together. But let me just say when conservatives seek strange new respect like this, when they when they bow to the liberals, when they bow to the legacy media, this 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 sort of positivity, this good press, it lasts for about a minute. And then and then the, the media will go back to bashing conservatives, and the liberals will go back to coming up with new wedge issues to trap the conservatives. Conservatives. Uh, this this is the name of the game. The Conservatives failed this week. They fell into the trap. And, and Canadians deserve so much more from the party that we call the official opposition. Okay, final story I want to talk about. I know we don't have much time left on the program, so I'll go through it pretty quickly here. But here is another story from the CBC from their series called Being Black in Canada. Here it says, for BIPOC employees, remote work meant a welcome break from office microaggressions. So BIPOC for people who aren't Hip on the leftist uh, lingo and all of their and their 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 obsession with weird acronyms. BIPOC means Black Indigenous and People of Color. And I know you might be confused because wouldn't a person of color include a someone who's Black and Indigenous? Well, of course these things are never logical. So yes, they called this group of people BIPOC. Uh, again, going with the left's obsession of uh, separating us, putting us into little categories, and trying to pit us against each other. So here we have an entire article written about an angry person who says that working in an office is filled with discrimination. And she was just so happy to get to work from home because she didn't have to deal with all of the microaggressions, all of the racism from all of the people around her. She could just sit at home and she didn't have to be worried about it. So here it says, as a black woman in the corporate world, Mila, age 35, knows what it's like to experience microaggressions at work. And, and if, if you don't know, microaggression is just simply Um, When someone says something with no racist intent, no bad intent, but the person uh, misconstrues that or or digs in a meaning that isn't there to determine that the person must be racist. It's just like anyone who used those words and phrases uh, from the first segment there, that, that you might not even know it, you might not even feel it, but uh by, by by saying something it's a social faux pas and it means that deep down you're racist so that that in a nutshell is what a microaggression is and so she says i cannot tell you how many times someone has come up to me and touched my hair <laughs> so touching someone's hair is a microaggression usually microaggressions are much more subtle forms of discrimination such as confusing one person for another person or one racialized co-worker for another by a white manager or being scrutinized by security or having your name constantly mispronounced. Working from home throughout the pandemic made it easier to avoid such behavior. I would say that on Zoom, I didn't really have the thought like, oh, I'm the only woman of color here. And maybe that's because I felt safer in my own space. Okay, here's a person who is so, so sheltered, um, so unprepared to deal with the real world that they can't handle day-to-day things that happen, Th- things that happen to everyone, by the way. Yes, sometimes people mispronounce my name. Maybe it doesn't happen as much to someone who has a more challenging name, but but these kind of things are very minor in, in the scale of things. I might even say that they are first world problems. And yet, here we have an entire CBC story telling us about how awful it is to not be white and how racism is so awful and working from home just gave these um, individuals a reprieve from all the terrible racists around them in Canada. And, and, and that's CBC in a nutshell, they live for this kind of thing. They love identity politics, they love to divide us, H- hence why they have an entire series called Being Black in Canada. The entire purpose of it is just to go out there and try to find examples of how horrible and racist Canadians are. If this is the worst that they can come up with, this is the worst stuff that they can find, I think we're in pretty good shape as a country, regardless of what the CBC is trying to do, which is pit us all against each other. The reality is that things aren't that bad. Things are pretty good in Canada. Thank you so much for tuning in. I hope you have a wonderful week weekend. This has been Fake News Friday. I'm Candace Malcolm and this is The Candice Malcolm Show.